Hello everyone, we're your hosts Khaled Amada, and this is the Unified for Palestine podcast, where we talk to different Palestinians around the world about their Palestinian identity. Today, we speak to a young Palestinian in El Salvador, Raul Miguel. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. So hello, my name is Raul Miguel. I'm 18 years old and I was born and raised in the capital city of El Salvador, San Salvador. I am a child of two Palestinian parents and three of my grandparents are Palestinians. Here we have a Palestinian community in El Salvador. It's, if I'm not mistaken, the fourth, uh, the fourth biggest one in Latin America. And I've been to Palestine twice actually, and I hope to go another time soon. When I was like six years old and 12 years old, I think in 2013 was my last time when, when Mohammed Desaf won the Arab Idol. You were there? Yeah, yeah. Nice. It How was, was very that? nice. <laughs> yeah, well, I was in, in Betsahur, in the, in the town where uh, I stayed. And actually, my aunt and uncle were in, uh, at a wedding, and they told us that everyone at the wedding was more uh, thinking about the show and, and seeing the, the TV and to see if Mohammed won. And then when he won, I remember the fireworks and everyone happy. And as well, the people gathered in places to, and they projected the, the screening of the contest. And yeah, it was like a very happy moment for Palestine to be recognized in the international world. And um, did you get the chance to be part of the celebration or did you just see it? No, like no. I stayed home with my cousins and my mom. Bro, I've been watching that recently even, just like what yeah, me too. Oh, it's celebrating. It's the biggest hype ever, like better than any party, seeing people celebrate over that, especially in like Ramallah, if you go look at the videos. Yes. And actually his songs are very like, they give you the feeling of your identity and your, they make you proud of being Palestinian. They want to like to show the world your identity and, and the, the lyrics and all of that. Yeah, true. Honestly, I just want to dance. <laughs> yeah, his song's super patriotic. Have you heard the one that's like, Raise the Kofi? Yeah, yeah. That one is dope. That one's great. And Dami Palestini as well. Yeah. It's like yeah. the most iconic one, I believe. So, so how was your experience in Palestine? Well, the first time, I don't remember too much about it. I was a little. However, the second one, it was, I was like 12 years old. And we went from El Salvador, Madrid, in Madrid to Tel Aviv eh, because I, I would enter with the, the Salvadoran passport. And even though my mom was born in Palestine, she came without documents. So she has the Salvadoran passport. And so when we were at the airport in, in Madrid, we thought that we were going to go to Tel Aviv in the Iberia Airlines. We didn't know, but the airlines had a, like an agreement and we were going to travel in the Elal Airlines, the Israeli one. So they, they came to us and interrogated us. I don't know why, because of our physique, maybe. And they asked my mom if we could speak Arabic, if we were part of the Palestinian society here in El Salvador. If we were related to Palestine, that, what, that why are we going to Palestine? And like we told him to visit family in Bersahur. And then he asked the man that, that where is Bersahur. And then he went to look at a map and he didn't find it. And they kept us like in half an hour, like talking with us. And if we could speak Arabic, like trying to insist if, if we had something. And my mom like told him, yeah, and the bad boys as well. And then he, he went for the plane. It was really full of Israelis. And then comes food. And guess what? They give us hummus and pita and pita bread, like stealing our food and identity. And then when we arrived in Tel Aviv airport, it was dawn. And at the airport, we were as well. They look at us, our passports. They send us to a little room to be interrogated. We spent like 45 minutes. And the man was very mad because she was discussing with another man. And 
they have these computers and data and they wanted to find if my like ancestors of my mother in, in Palestine, they were searching for like people of my family, my ancestors, and they were looking for it. And the woman was like very mad when she wanted to show us the woman, if she was my grandmother, her computer went off and she got more mad. But at the end, it was uh, no problem. We got through the airport and there was my, my uncle who was born in Palestine, but lived all his life in Honduras because my mom's side, they immigrated from, from Palestine like in 1978 due to economic things, I believe. My mom came to Honduras when she was three years old and she made her life there. And then he, and she married my father in Salvador. However, my uncle went back to Palestine uh, like four years ago or six. And he works there and he got like the permit to travel to Israel and Palestine with a, like a car with the, the yellow ID, the yellow plate of the car. So he was there and he took us to the checkpoint in the apartheid wall. And that was like my, my first impression of the occupation of Palestine and the reality of Palestine there. I actually didn't know too much about what, what, what was going on. I knew that there was a conflict, didn't know the context too much. I just knew that there was a problem and that we needed to go through the, the soldiers and that I couldn't speak any Arabic or, or say something in Arabic or, or say that I'm Palestinian because I would get into problems just for being Palestinian in Palestine. I went to Jerusalem quite many times as well to Tel Aviv and I stayed in Bethlehem, Bejala and Bet Sahur and I went to Hebron uh, Al-Khalil uh, one time. I stayed two months. It was very nice because it was the second time I, I saw my family in Palestine. And yeah, that's a basic story of my, so my time there. When you, when you checked the flight and they were asking you all those questions, was that your first time or second time going? Uh, no, second time. That was your second time. How old were yeah. you? Like 12 years old. You know, I'm just sitting here thinking how crazy it is that, that we're out of the system in a way, right? Yeah where if we don't go back to Palestine, for the most part, like we don't suffer through what many and many, many other Palestinians suffer through. But then as soon as we try to step back in, we to become part of system. that system. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's part of, like, you, you, you don't feel secure or safe of your identity being in Palestine. Because if you say, like, something in Arabic in the checkpoint, you don't know what these holders might think. And, you know, a, a lot of people recently that have been uh, shot dead at the checkpoints. You you have that fear when you when you when you get to the checkpoints to just obey the the soldiers and they kind of and kind of like dehumanizes you as a person because you need to obey them and you can't have actually a voice around it. And as well, in the checkpoints, you need to take off your shoes or things like your belt and pockets. Because as well, when I was in the second time in Palestine, once we were trying to go to Jerusalem with my aunt, who is Palestinian, and I could go through in, in car with my Salvadoran passport. However, my mom was going to, to go with my aunt through the Palestinian checkpoint, the long line, and you know, the apartheid system. And I decided to, to get that experience and see how it was for Palestinians, actually, to go through there. And I remember the, the long lines, like we were like an hour waiting. I believe uh, the place was not like very nice as you might think. And when we got there and the soldiers were, were and they talked to you in, in Hebrew and we don't know anything about Hebrew. They know Arabic uh, as well. And I needed to ask one of them to, to please to talk in English. And I needed to, to take off my shoes. The woman there, 
a lot of things or, or where you take the bags, etc., your pockets. And that kind of dehumanizes in that, in that sense. You are like, they treat you as if every Palestinian is a danger or poses a danger. And, and that's like, it fuels the idea of like Palestinian terrorists, Arab terrorists, and you, you pose danger and that you need to be checked or things like that. And, and children go to their, what threat can a children pose? Yeah, this is when you were yeah. 12 years old. Yeah, I was just thinking the same. Like, for example, I've never been to Palestine and we kind of inherit that pain, right? But then yeah. you have someone like Raul, you go back at 12, you go and see that reality or living through that all their life. What's sad is that they kind of feel normal. It's like they're yes. numb to it. But like I mean, this sticks with you. And when you're out of the system is when you kind of realize that, oh, this is actually like really messed up. What I experienced was nothing compared to what Palestinians live in Palestine under the occupation experience every day. I mean, however, in the diaspora, you also, you feel the occupation in a different sense, like in that your, your denial of your identity, whether it being by politicians, full governments, social media, textbooks, or jokes as well. Or like, for example, when I was little and today, uh, today even, when I see a map or a, a world globe, the first thing I do is to look if Palestine is on the map. And most of the times it's not, it's Israel. So I grew up with like, they told me, they told me I'm Palestinian, Palestine, the stories of Palestine. But then you, you look at the map and it says Israel and you, you get confused. Uh, and what is the, the correct site or, or what is the correct thing to put in a map? And then as well, you face people in social media who denies Palestinians. Then you see politicians who, who or like a, a Zionists denying your existence that the name Palestine was put by the Romans, but the name Palestine goes back to the 3,200 years old word of Peleset, which was used by the ancient Egyptians to refer to the people of the Southern Levant. It eventually became Palestine. And there's evidence in the writings of Herodotus and Aristotle. And, and you face this denial that Palestinians don't exist, that as for the Zionist argument that they are invaders from, I don't know, Jordan or Saudi Arabia, which came to the land of Israel, as they say, and and that you don't have the right to have your own state because, and they tell you the argument now that you're a terrorist and Hamas and things like that. What you just said about looking at a map or looking at a globe, I, I wonder how many of us have that experience. Yeah. So I grew up in Dubai. And when I was a kid, you know, every map said Palestine. So I never really paid attention. But then like, you know, we'd go back to the US every once in a while for the summers. And I'd look at maps there and it'd say, it would not say Palestine. It would not even be anywhere there. So I was, okay, I was confused. You know, why, why am I seeing Palestine in one place and then a 12, 13 hour flight away, I'm seeing something else. So that was definitely something that had an impact on, on me, not just today, but even as a child. Yes. I mean, to be Palestinian, it's not as easy as to say that you're Swedish or you're Russian, that everyone knows you and respects your identity. But when you say you're Palestinian, you have the fear that people will counter-argue that know that Palestine does not exist, that it's Israel, that Palestinians, I don't know, are terrorists. And every time, like, maybe still as well, that you, you have that fear of what people might think of you just for being Palestinian or might deny your identity and even existence. I wasn't very connected with my Palestinian side, right? So when I was growing up, I didn't kind of feel this way. 
in terms of like, oh, someone is questioning my existence because like, okay, I'm Syrian, you know, it's fine. But when I, when after 2011 and when I left, I started experiencing it more in Europe. And then even when I started connecting my Palestinian side, and then I started to show that more, I faced that stigma as well. And I faced the same experience. And like Khaled, you said, like, I wonder how many of us, because it's true. I, when I was a kid, so in grade seven, I studied geography both in Arabic and in English. It was an American curriculum. So in the Arabic book, I always found out stuff. Every geography lesson we had each year, we would get the book and there was a, like basically two pages that had the full map. And every year we tear it apart because it says Israel. So the teachers would be like, you know what, tear this page because it says Israel, not Palestine. Yeah, so it was, it was crazy to see that American world, Palestine doesn't exist. But with us, it was always Palestine, Palestine. You know the stories, you know your Palestinian, you know your ancestors and where they came from. But someone is literally just denying your existence. And that's very hard to go through. Yeah, um, I had this experience as well. I attended, well, I am in my last year of school, but I attended an American school here in Salvador. In seventh grade, I had this, this project to do a road fair that you need to choose a country and do a presentation, like talk about the culture, stats about the country. And I asked the professor if I could do Palestine. He stayed like, eh, well, but that isn't an official country. It's too eh, problematic, you know. I, I'm not sure if you could do it. And I told him, what if I don't talk about the conflict and I don't show any images of children, the, the conflict? And he, even though he told me if I was willing to do Israel, I told him, no, I, I, I can't do Israel immediately. And, and then he stayed like, ah, yeah, you see, like trying to, to impose like, I'm Palestinian and I want to do Palestine, but I don't want to do Israel. I'm going to be willing to do Israel if Israel is the, the state or the, the structure that denies my identity and oppresses my people. I ended up doing Ireland at the end. <laughs> I'd love to know. So anybody listening to this, I'd love to know if you had the same experience. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, but it's crazy, man, that someone, the teacher literally was like, oh, I don't want to cause World War III. Yeah, he told me that he didn't want to cut. Uh, he didn't want to cause World War Three at the school because a lot of people come to to see the projects. And yeah, it's silly. Bro, and you were a kid. You were a kid. Yeah, as a kid. How do you say that to a kid exactly? <laughs> I think it's something that every Palestinian has has gone through. How is the community in Salvador? Are they integrated in the community, or do they kind of stick together? Uh, well. Actually, there is a Palestinian community here in Salvador. There is a, a club, it's called the Club Árabe Salvadoreño. However, I'd like to give a history about it. First, here was a club, a, a club called Campestre, who was founded by European immigrants here in Salvador. And the Arabs were indiscriminated because around the 1930s, we had a dictator who was called Maximiliano Hernández Martínez. His objective was to impose the Salvadoran economy without immigrants. So he had this policy of banning the entrance to Arabs, to Black people, to Roma people, to, to Chinese people, etc. So the Arabs that already were in the country, they could stay here, but no more Arabs into the country. And the Arabs here, they were discriminated and they weren't allowed to be a, like a partner of the club or, or to go to the club. So they made this, this club, Club Arabe Salvadoreño which at first it was called El Prado because they didn't even want to write the name Arabe because of the discrimination. However, this, it's, this does no longer exist, right? And we have two Palestine plazas here. One is with the 
statue of Arafat, as well it's on the on a road called Avenida Jerusalem. Abbas came here once in 2012 when he was advocating for the vote of the international community to vote for Palestine and to be accepted as a state or recognized. And he came here and he went to the the, the plaza with Arafat, you know, all the diplomatic protocols. And I took a photo with him as well. And as well, we have a plaza called Plaza Palestina, which has the map of Palestine, the founders, and it's like a green area. It's called as well like Tierra Santa, the Holy Land. Does that make you proud to have all those Palestine squares? Yeah, it's every time I, I go past through them, I, I always see that flag. Like a little bit of Palestine here in El Salvador. But talking about the people, Palestinians here are a very important part of the, of the economy. The Palestinian families here have a, a big, big role in the, like in the big companies and big names of the country. And some of the biggest last names of Palestinians are Bukele, Siman, Safi, Hasbun, Saka, Sabane, Dabura, or Miguel, Bendek as well. Even the president, it's Bukele, Nayib Bukele. He's a Palestinian because his, his grandparent from his dad's side was born in Jerusalem and, and his grandmother from his dad's side was, was born in Bethlehem. And as well, his dad was the pioneers of Islam here in El Salvador. There is quite a big Palestinian community. It's between 70,000 and 90,000 people of all the, the first ones to come and the children and all the generations. If I'm not mistaken, it's the fourth largest Palestinian community in Latin America, having Chile be, be the first one, half million Palestinians. And even in Chile, there are more Christian Palestinians than there are Christian Palestinians in Palestine. In Honduras, which is the second one, with 270,000 uh, Palestinians in Brazil with 100,000 Palestinians. And to give like history about the immigration of Palestinians here, it started at the end of, of the 20th century when Palestine was under the Ottoman rule because of, of the repression that the Ottomans applied to the, the Christians, especially the Maronites. So that's why a lot of Palestinians, Christian Palestinians, immigrated to America, Latin America. And most of Palestinians here are, are Christian. Actually, I don't know any Palestinian here who is Muslim. I heard that Palestinians in Latin America, because of the discrimination, they were called Turcos. Yeah, that's because they came with the Ottoman passport. So they were called Turcos. And it's like, yeah, the, the nickname of every Arab here have been called Turco as well. And so it's still yeah. there. Yeah, it's still there. I mean, people like people don't know the history about it because we're not Turkish, we are Arab. It's just still discrimination up to this day between those who are Palestinians and those who are not? No, 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 no. Today, no. I mean, the president is Palestinian, uh, we could say. Uh, no, uh, discrimination because of being Arab or Palestinian, it's not present anymore. And have there been other politicians too, or is this? No, um, Antonio Saka was another one. Okay, um, so you said, you said that your dad's family came during the Ottoman era and your mom's yes. family, 1970s, right? So. Yeah. When your mom and dad tell you about Palestine, or maybe maybe even take it the grandparents, have, if your grandparents have told you stories, has it been different? Well, my grandparents from my dad's side, 
he came when he was nine years old. No, no, he was born here. However, he's like my great grandparents. They died at a pretty young age, so I I don't know. I've never got like a history or narrative about their experience. However, from my my mom's side, they told me like they came a, a lot of to to Latin America because of economic things and and to have a better life as well. And as well, I remember a narrative about my ancestors. They were in a cave during the war, and yeah, but it's like it, we have preserved the the culture, the the food, the music as well. Wait, wait, they were in a cave during the war. Yeah, yeah. What can you elaborate? <laughs> That's interesting. Like, uh, to be protected from from being taken or or shot, they were uh, inside a cave. So I don't know too much about it really, but it was like that is a fact about about them. Okay, nice. <laughs> imagine like being dangerous, just getting up to the mountains and just going inside a cave. It's actually really smart. Yeah, yeah. What's your favorite food? Mine. Yeah. Well, maybe shawarma, but <laughs> yeah. When I was in Palestine, I, I, I like to go a lot to the shawarma places. We have a we have a friend who would love you. Definitely, <laughs> and he'll love you. His his favorite food is also shawarma. <laughs> and what's your favorite food? Um, what is your favorite food? Yeah, does dessert count or just food food? Well, no, as well. Like food, for me, the dessert is knafe. Yeah, exactly. If we're gonna say, yeah, yeah, I mean, food, everybody's favorite. That's my favorite thing. Raul, uh, Khaled used to have knafe for breakfast. Bro, I used to have like three, four oh. slices in the morning. It's not a bad idea. Not bad at all, man. That's like, honestly, if I was a king, I'd eat knafe every day. You know, for anybody who has yeah. access to it every single day, they're probably gonna think like, "What's wrong with these guys?" But we know because we don't have it every day. So when we do have it, yes. And for me, it's like a special plate or dessert to have. So when I was living in, in UAE, like it was like a, a weekly thing. We'll get knafe in the weekend. Or you'll pass by a shop, you'll get knafe. And I was like, oh, man, like sometimes my dad was like, you want knafe? I'm like, man, I'm bored of knafe. I was like, every day, every day you want to eat knafe. And then I traveled to Europe <laughs> and I regret the day that I said I'm bored of knafe. Because <laughs> I, I went through three years without eating it. Here we have a lot of Arab restaurants, which are us from the Palestinian people here, and but it's not the same. I mean, it's you can't compare the like falafel here to the falafel in Palestine, the knafe as well. However, my mom has is pretty good at cooking, so I'm not too too left behind with the flavors. <laughs> God bless her, man. Thank you. You're living the good life. Um... Okay, I want to know more about your experience being Palestinian. So we've heard like some of the things that have happened to you when you went back to Palestine, but in general, throughout your life, how's, how's your experience been? To be honest, I became more attached to my, to my Palestinian side last year during the, the pandemic and quarantine. I started to follow more Palestinian pages on Instagram to read about the history of the negotiations, the history of Palestine, the ancient times. To, to listen more uh, music. Yeah, but uh, my experience with it, it's not too easy because you you feel that you're not completely free with your identity and that you face the denial of your identity and existence as well because of the, of the occupation of Palestine. 
and as well, and this has me thinking a lot of uh, at times in like in the middle of the night, I I start to to think about a possible solution to the conflict or like the suffering, the daily suffering of Palestinians, like people uh, seeing their their houses demolished, it's simply inhumane, and it's it's difficult because. You can't go to Palestine as if you go to any, any other country. You, you need to face these uh, checkpoints. You need to to deny your identity. You you need to uh, like you you need to enter the the Zionist state. You can't enter Palestine as Palestine. There is no Palestinian airport. Like uh, you feel that you you're left behind in that sense of of your nation and country or your roots. But however, that makes you feel more patriotic and to be proud of your identity because I believe when people try to, den to deny you and deny your identity and experience, that just makes that your, your feeding for Palestine or your country grows more and try to show the world the reality and the, the red side of history. But you know, honestly, in general, when someone tries to take something away from you, it's because they don't, they don't feel it properly or they feel that they need to kind of overcompensate for something like their identity they're not so sure of it and they just want to protect it no matter what oh you know what you don't exist why so i can feel better about I mean, myself but also the, man, there is a palestinian airport it's there they just changed the name yes yes i i, I know the history about the, the current tel aviv airport i don't know i just hate when they're oh we have a we have an airport okay well it was there you just changed the name what did you do yeah and that's you know? yeah yeah uh, that's the Zionist narrative to try to uh, erase Palestine and Palestinians of their of their identity. They say they said the the old will die and the young will, will forget. And here we are talking about it. If anything, the young are much stronger than the older generation. And we will only get stronger now, especially today. I wouldn't have said this a year ago or two years ago, but especially today, I think that this whole Zionist narrative and like all the, all the propaganda and lies that they, that they spit out. Um, it's not working the way it used to. Have you seen yes. that role SNL? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I saw currently what happened with the joke he said about the, the, the apartheid of the vaccines, right? Yeah. And Saturday yeah. night live saying that they would never have said that a few years ago. Yes. I think that the world is opening up to the, the reality. As well with the in Bethlehem saying for the first time that Israel is an apartheid state, and as well with the sixty Israeli citizens, a youth who refused to go to the the IDF. So that I think it's important steps. I've been following them for years, and just to see them kind of talk about this openly, without like being scared of criticism or like lobbies or people of influence, is just great because it feels like the work we as like youth have been doing. The past few years, especially with social media and everything, is kind of paying off. We're doing something great. Yeah, and as well, it's frustrating that you can criticize every country in the world, but when you criticize Israel, you're labeled as anti-Semitic. Anti the U.S. says that if you criticize Israel, you're anti-Semitic, but if you criticize Iran, you are not Islamophobic. So the double standards are at play. And even Israel as the state in Zionism, of how Zionism was, done are anti-Semitic itself because Danjahu says that Israel is the state of the Jewish people and represents like actually saying that it's a represents the Jewish people 
but I don't believe that Zionism, that Zionism and the acts of the state of Israel represent the Jewish people and that they do these acts like in the name of Jewish people. And that's not the, the reality of the Jewish people. I don't believe that Zionism is part of, of Judaism. I mean, it's a political ideology, racist of ethnic cleansing and settler colonial ideology to wipe out Palestine. I think it's very important to, to be able to differentiate between Jew and Zionist. And that's a problem as well, that many yeah. people can differentiate between a Zionist and Jew, because I have a Jewish friend and, and no problem with the Jewish people. And some people say that, that they are pro-Zionism because they believe in the fact that Jews have this self-determination, they have the right to have the, the right of self-determination in, in Palestine because it was the land of the ancient kingdom of Israel and their historic uh, rights and all of that. And yes, I agree. The Jewish people have a religious and historic right to Palestine. And as well, some of them might have a genetic uh, connection to the land. However, that doesn't mean that you can come to Palestine and wipe the, the land of the Muslim and Christian inhabitants and to make it only for the Jewish people. Because Palestine, the beautiful Palestine is said, it's the holy land for all uh, Christian, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. So I believe it's just not logical to to support a superpower, military superpower that is Israel to control Palestine for it to be only for the, or to have Jewish people above everyone else, like to make it the land of the Jewish people while it's holy as well for the Christians and the Muslims. I mean, it should be, if I had the power, what I would do or, or state would be like a secular and democratic Palestinian state, you know, of Palestine from the river to the sea, on the border with Lebanon to the point in the Red Sea where everyone, Jew, Muslim, Christian, Jews, lives free and under equal rights, having Jerusalem as its the capital for all in both Arabic and Hebrew as the official languages. I mean, you can't have Palestine only for be, uh, to be only for people of one, of one religion when it's important to, to Muslims and Christians as well. And for the future solution, Zionists say that, oh, but you want to destroy Israel, you want to destroy the Jewish people, and that's absolutely not, not the case because I don't believe that the solution is Jewish refugees, absolutely not, and should not be. Because right now you have, I don't know, three or four generations of Israeli citizens who are born in Palestine. They have grown up there in Palestine. Everyone grows up with the, with the ideology of their parents, children who, who grew up like supporting Israel and Zionism because that was taught to them. And, but I mean, they don't have the fault to have, it, to have been born in, in occupied Palestine and under the Zionist regime. A solution needs to be like peace and equality for everyone in the country. No more displacement of people, no more refugees, but rather unite the people to it towards a free Palestinian nation. And a free Palestine does not mean to destroy the Jewish people, but rather means to destroy the, the Zionist regime. That's totally different between Judaism, Jewish people, and the Zionist regime. You said something really important. You said that Zionism or Zionists do not represent Jews. And that is really important to say, because in this Zionist narrative, especially when you speak to people who say they're Zionists, they tend to use the terminology Jews versus Palestinians or Jews versus Arabs. It's not yeah. Jews and Palestinians. It's Israelis and Palestinians. It's not, not Jews and Arabs. They it's not even Israelis and Palestinians. It's Zionists and Palestinians. Yeah. Because there are Israelis that are co-Palestinian. Yeah, and we don't have any problem with Jewish people. As long as we have yeah. our basic rights and basic decency, and we can have a secular state where, where we can all be under just one umbrella and one shadow, that we're all represented equally and we all have our rights, then we're fine. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Palestine is not only for the Jews or not, or, or not only for Muslims or not only for Christians, but for everyone and to live equally and freely and not to have an apartheid system in which have more rights than the non, non-Jewish people of, of living there. And the uh, Israeli uh, nation state law says that only Jewish citizens have the right to self-determination. We had a apartheid in South Africa and it was abolished. I mean that apartheid in Palestine should be abolished soon. So this is also changing too. You have a lot more Jewish people from the diaspora who are standing up for Palestine and are speaking up against what's yes. happening. And honestly, so much love to those people who keep on talking about Palestine who are not Palestinian yeah, yeah. because their voices do make a huge difference and it has a lot of weight. And I'd like to say as well that uh, Palestinians and Jewish people, non, non-Zionist uh, Jewish people, have the, a similar struggle, which like, I mean, Jew, Jewish people, anti-Semitism, because anti-Semitism is real every, in every part of the world. And I'm against it because I'm against any form of oppression against people. And Palestinians have the, the struggle of being erased their identity, of being erased of, of their dignity and respect, as well Jewish people who are not respected for their religion or beliefs. So we share a similar struggle. My call is to the, the Jewish people who are listening to like form a bond between Palestinians and Jewish for a pro-Palestine, a free Palestine that benefits all of, all of us because the state of Israel does not benefit the image of Jews and absolutely doesn't benefit Palestinians in the, the oppression and everything that it has done to the Palestinian people. And like you said, we're against oppression in general. But yeah, I think we just need to work together. Whenever we can agree on something, I think we just need to work together to find a solution because it's been too long and we need a solution. And I'm pretty sure we're going to do something. This generation is going to do something great. And hopefully we can yes. all go back to Palestine soon in this lifetime. And the two-state two solution is not a solution for me or it's not a viable solution because that will mean the permanent occupation of Palestinian lands, the cities of Jaffa, Haifa, Akka, Nazareth, eh, Safed. I mean, two-state solution, like we the people can't be advocating for one secular state or one state solution. And then we have the Palestinian authority claiming for a, a two-state solution for a Palestinian state in the pre-1967 lands. That's not a viable solution. And what about the refugees from that cities who were expelled? They will never have the right to go back to their cities. That's not even a possible solution. Yeah. It's, it's completely impossible now. Yeah, There's just too many we're... settlers living in some imaginary Palestinian state that exists on paper, but in reality, it's one apartheid state. Yeah, I mean, Palestinians don't have like, the... a state of... They don't have control in anything. Israel controls the water. Israel controls the entrance. The Gaza is the biggest opener prison in the world. Two million people living there. And Israel controls what goes in, what goes out. And even today, the nasty COVID vaccines because of political aims. And you can't have... The Palestinian problem is... In my opinion, I think it's really about the refugees. You can give three, four different states called Palestine. If you don't take the refugees back to where they're from, to where they belong and where it's their right to return, then you haven't solved anything. Yes, I mean, I don't know what's the problem with equality in Palestine of having Muslims, Jews and Christians living equally as one whole nation, probably in one country where everyone is free and under equal rights, Arabic and Hebrew as both official languages respect between people, real coexistence and not oppression and peace. What do you guys think? Would you accept a state, like one secular state? We all have rights, but refugees don't come back. 
I personally wouldn't. No, I mean, refugees are an essential part of the conflict. They have the, the right of, of to come back. And remember, by refugees, we're not just talking about people in countries outside Palestine. We're talking about millions of people in Gaza. Yes. Exactly, exactly. And Honestly, just crazy how you can be a refugee living in your own country. <laughs> how does that yeah. work? Only in, only in Palestine, man. Refugees uh, have the right. And as well today, uh, for example, we see uh, about the post of Israel not giving the, the vaccines to Palestinians. And it says that the occupying power has the obligation to give the, the people it occupies the sources for uh, avoiding a medical spread, a, a disease spread. But I mean, we should tackle the root of the problem, which is the occupation. Why stay with the status quo of an occupying state or an occupying power, but rather fix that problem to end the occupying power and have equality in people for all because Israel does not care of the lives of Palestinians actually. How can you expect them to, to provide the vaccines? What's something that you feel like all Palestinians share? The struggle. It's the struggle of not being able to be free to talk about your identity and where you come from and to have that oppression even if you don't live in Palestine or you live in Palestine, you feel depression in different ways. As we said that you are being denied of your identity or being Palestine, you face depression every day. I totally agree. But also the culture is just so beautiful, man. Honestly, Palestinian culture is so beautiful. The food, the dance, yes. the music. And one thing that has always been integral to, like, and specific to Palestine, I would say in the Levant area, is coexistence. Because the land has seen so many religions and so many different types of people. Yeah. And they were always coherent and living together. I mean, Zionism came to disrupt the, the coexisting in Palestine and came to put a, a group of people above the other group of people. And in a land that is important and holy for us four people, I mean, you can't have a, a superpower that only supports one religion in a place in such as Palestine, which is holy for a multiple religions. And I think that education is a must to break down the social cleavages and the stereotype because, I mean, the Israeli youth, I believe they are taught like Palestinians have a threat. And then you have the, the Palestinian kid who the first image of a Jew he sees is the Israeli citizen, the Israeli soldier who demolishes his houses, who shots his family members or kidnaps his family members. I mean, it's, it's a whole process of education reform and reform reformation of, of of, of, of politics to, to actually get to a, a solution and peace and coexistence between both people. Definitely, man. Honestly, I agree. Khaled, what is something that passing share? What do you think? I think you guys covered that pretty well. One thing I would say, though, is something that I've noticed that Palestinians do in general, no matter where they are, is that they make sure that everybody knows that they're Palestinian. They say it, they wear it, they, they make plazas out of it. Wherever you go, so you go to Europe, you'll find something. So I go to Berlin, I go to, I go to a street or, I mean, on the internet, it's called Little Palestine, but I think in Berlin, it's just known as like the Arab area. It's filled with Palestinian flags and Palestinian stuff and Palestinian stores and, and signs and petitions for Jerusalem. And then El Salvador with everything you're saying to us. And then there's Chile with the football team. So Palestinians make sure that everybody knows. In El Salvador, there is like a town which is called Little Palestine. And the streets are with the names of towns like Street Ramallah, Street Bejala, Street Betzahur, and like that. 
of those streets? Are they still the same? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a little town which was made for people. So they built like houses for them, and they and they put the the names. It was done by the Palestinian society here. Super cool. I expect you to take me when I go to El Salvador. <laughs> <laughs> like for Palestinians, like maybe in Palestine, they would like to to visit the Palestinians. Know more about the Palestinians here, but. Being here in in Salvador, you want to be more connected to Palestine and, and being Palestine and th- and, th- and see the, the the things in reality. What vision do you have for Palestine in the future? Reformation of Palestinian politics is required, and as well, a people like the society, civil society, to engage into this struggle and to form the sources or forms of unifying people towards the good side and the advocating for peace and human rights for people. How important do you guys think it is for Palestinians outside of Palestine to make sure they remain engaged in this and to spearhead any effort? This podcast of yours is a great great method and form to, to have Palestinian voices all around the world to, to be connected and share their opinions on Palestine and refuse. Honestly, that means a lot, man. Thank you. We need to preserve the culture and... We are doing it. And I feel like this generation, as I said before, this generation is doing so well in terms of showing their identity. And the more we talk about identity, the more we push this conversation forward, the more people that will join, that will get connected to Palestine, that will go back and want to learn their history and ask their grandparents and just get more into Palestinian culture. Yes, because I mean, it's difficult for the ones living in the diaspora because, well, Probably the, the old people, they preserve the, the language, the, the culture, the food, the traditions. However, the young generations, they are born in a different country or different place in the world. Like we grow up in the Latino culture. It's totally different to the Palestinian culture as well, like aspects of religion as well. So yeah, in these types of things and engagement between Palestinians, even though it doesn't matter how far we are from each other, and to be connected to our land and to our roots as well, to advocate for it and the justice that needs to be made. Do you think the community in Salvador could be like a very major force? Well, I can't like generalize a, a group of people, but I think it's difficult because here that the new generation, they are being born into totally different culture. They grew up in this culture, Probably they, they don't visit Palestine or haven't had the opportunity to visit Palestine. You have the roots, but your identity might not be as strong as if you are born in, in a country in the Middle East where you hear more about Palestine, but here it's not too much about it. It's not like to criticize people who, don't, who are Palestinians, but, but don't identify too much with it because everyone identity is something that everyone chooses like to, to feel of, of, of where they come from. Personally, I feel very, very Palestinian. How would you go about solving that issue? I mean, I'm just telling a, like a, a scenario, not like that is the reality for, for everyone because I can generalize. But I think it's important to know about your, about your history and culture and to have that and to teach it through, through the generations, through as well the forms of food, traditions, and music, because... If you're not taught when you're little, when you grow up, it's much difficult. So I think it's it's a message for uh, for us as well. When we have children, to teach our children the importance of Palestine and to feel proud of where they come from, 
their identity. Beautifully said, man. Cool. Just to end this on a really good note, what do you plan on doing in the future, whether Palestine-related or not? Well, right now I'm planning to study international relations. And yeah, if the Palestine issue is something like has an influence in my, my career decision because uh, you see everything related to, to, to politics and in, 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 in societies in the international stage, I don't know really what's my future, my future and, and what, what I'm going to do. But what I can tell you is that I will have always Palestine like me and, and having that, like to fight for the struggle and having that connection to the, to the land if I could in the future to, to help Palestinians and the people and to do something for the, the nation. Yes. Yes. I love that. If they don't respect existence, then they should expect resistance. Resistance. Yes, sir. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Louder for the people in the back. <laughs> yeah. One more time. One, two, three. Existence? No, no. Okay. No, they don't respect existence. Then they, okay. then they expect resistance. Okay. Yellow one, two, three. If they, if don't, they don't respect, respect, they don't respect existence, existence, then expect then they resistance. Expect resistance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is difficult. Yeah. Good enough, guys. Yeah. Nice work, guys. Well, thank you and your opportunity to, to be able to talk with you and as well to, to share the Palestinian opinions and voices all around the world. I yeah. personally, I personally love having you on. Thank you for getting on. I learned so much from this conversation with you and I'm sure... <laughs> The majority of Palestinians are going to learn something out of this. Hello again, friends. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. For us, it was an interesting way to learn more about the Palestinian community in El Salvador. That being said, we release a new episode every Thursday, so make sure you tune in, subscribe to this podcast, and follow us on Instagram at Unified for Palestine. And remember, Palestine is, was, and will forever be free. See you next time. Peace.